It's my honor and privilege to introduce to you uh, my friend, Pastor Brian Borgman from Minden, Nevada. He was here yesterday and he taught at our Bible conference and we had a wonderful time yesterday uh, learning from God's word about how our faith and emotions are, are guided and actually directed and commanded um, by God and how we are given an example in Jesus Christ. So I know those of you that were here yesterday enjoyed that immensely and we are glad that he's able to join us today and preach, from us, uh, preach to us from God's word again. So I want to pray for uh, Pastor Brian and then turn the service over to him. Let me pray. God, I just thank you again for allowing us to enjoy the ministry of Pastor Brian but most of, the, most of all, to enjoy the ministry of your word and to study it, to be challenged by it, to grow in depth as we learn more of your character, of your nature, and what you've called us to. I pray that today as we learn more, we would uh, come under your lordship in this area of our lives and that we would leave here challenged in our faith and in our walk with you. I pray your blessing on Brian as he speaks, that you would fill him with your spirit, that he would speak with passion and boldness and truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. It's been a privilege to be here uh, this weekend and to get to know your uh, wonderful pastor and his illustrious family and uh, also Taj and and uh, Tanya and some of the others and it's been a real real delight I've never been to uh, Indiana before I think I drove through it once but I don't remember it just seemed like another flat state but um I did get to see Jug Rock, which was uh, just an exciting uh, event on, that was Friday, right, that we saw Jug Rock, and then uh, was very happy for you Notre Dame fans, um, uh, five overtimes, and you beat Louisville, so um, those of you that hate Notre Dame, I'm sorry, so, well, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter one, which was read for us at the beginning of the service. And if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to tell you right up front that this is a message that really is designed for young people, but older people can listen too. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to profit um, from this as well. And so let's ask for the Lord's help and then we'll uh, jump into it. Father, we thank you that you are the God who was, who is, and who is to come. We thank you that you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. You are everything. Father, we give you praise this morning, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the Lamb who has taken away our sins. We thank you that he is seated at your right hand, that he is our righteousness. Father, we thank you that we have been that we have been bought with his precious blood and clothed in his perfect righteousness and stand before you complete in him. And Father, we also thank you this morning for the blessed Holy Spirit who reigns and rules with you and with your Son, one God in three persons forever and ever, Holy Trinity. And Father, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit this morning. Father, we realize that in the 
preaching of your word, if we do this in our own strength, then there will be no lasting good that's done. And so, Father, we depend wholly and completely upon the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and giver of life. Father, we also know that we cannot hear your word without the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would give us all ears to hear this morning, and we pray that your word would would be triumphant and that your grace would be enough and that you would work in our hearts for our good and for your everlasting glory and praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we come to uh, Proverbs chapter 1, it's addressed to young people. And of course, being being young is is great. And uh, for those that Remember what being young was like, you remember that it was great. Uh, it was an exciting time of life. For those of you who are young, it's, uh, life is fresh, it's exciting, it's intriguing. But being young is also dangerous. And the reason being young is dangerous is because you're inexperienced at life, you're not wise yet. And yet, as, as a young person, you are at a crossroads in life and your decisions actually will have lifelong consequences and yet you don't often see that. Oftentimes you just think that, that your life is nothing more than what is in front of you today. One of my favorite Old Testament scholars, Ray Ortland Jr., makes this comment and I think it's very appropriate. He says, everyone is on a path. Everyone is going somewhere. When we feel stuck, even when we feel trapped, the truth is we are still in motion. Life is a journey, and the end of it is not just a place, but also a condition. We are becoming the end of our journey, wise or foolish, and every moment takes us closer there. As we look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, it really is an appeal to young people to choose wisdom. And so I hope that if you're a young person, that you will listen, that you'll give your attention to the call of wisdom. And if you're an older person, I pray that you too would give ear to the call of wisdom. Now what happens is in verses 20 and 21, Wisdom actually cries out for attention. And as in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a lady. She is lady wisdom, contrasted in Proverbs 9, for instance, with Madam Folly. Uh, But she's God's wisdom. She's God's messenger. She is a teacher, but she is more than a teacher. And as we get to Proverbs 1, 20 and 21, notice this language, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice up in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. As you you start reading the book of Proverbs, what you notice is in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8, wisdom is something that is to be uh, instructed in the home. Mom and dad actually are the ones who instruct the children in wisdom. But now, as we get to wisdom's call, wisdom is, as it were, out of the home and out in the streets. 
And perhaps she's out in the streets because she's reaching out in the streets, in the city square, and she's trying to reach those who are either no longer at home or who didn't hear at home. Young people, you need to remember that, that God has given you parents who are to instruct you in the ways of the Lord, and those parents are given to you by God to instill in you wisdom from God. And yet here's wisdom, and she now says, if you didn't listen at home and now you're out in the streets, I'm still lifting up my voice, and I'm trying to get your attention over the bustle of life. Wisdom actually positions herself in the city gate, and and, and that city gate actually is the most important place uh, in the city. It's the place where there's everybody enters. It's the place where the discussions would go on. It's the place where the elders would meet and judgments would happen. She positions herself there, raising up her voice. And the idea of there she is positioned at the city gate, raising up her voice, is this fervent emotional persuasion. She is desperately trying to get the attention of those who perhaps did not listen at home. She pleads, she scolds, she reasons. She threatens, she warns, and ultimately she will laugh. One of the things that struck me about this passage is thinking about wisdom standing there in the city square and at the gate is that there is a constant clamor for our attention whether it's the TV or whether it's the video games or whether it's, it's your smartphone or your iPhone or your friends or your Facebook, we live in a culture where, where we are always being uh, called to attention and always being yelled at, as it were, everybody wanting us to pay attention to them. And yet here is wisdom who actually is calling out and she's calling out to you and she wants to be heard over your social media and over your friends, over your peers. She wants to be heard over all of the the white noise of your life and she demands that you give her your attention. And today is the day. Today is the day. Wisdom offers up an invitation in verses 22 and 23. She says, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. Fools hate knowledge. And so in verse uh, 22, we have this wisdom's invitation, but it starts with a question. And the question is, O naive ones, how long will you love being simple? In the book of Proverbs, the the category of naive ones is the patayim, which means uh, naive or simple. Uh, One Old Testament scholar calls them the morally brainless. Now, that's not an intellectual category. That's not a low IQ. That is actually somebody who, because of a lack of experience in life and because of the gullibility of youth, they actually don't have the experience and wisdom to be morally astute yet. And so here they are. They're inexperienced in life. They're gullible. They're open to folly. And they desperately need wisdom and discretion at that point in their life. The simple, the petayim, are actually at a dangerous crossroads because they're on the brink of actually making moral choices that may well make them or break them in life. 
Lady Wisdom actually cries out and she says, How long are you going to love being simple? That very question, how long, is actually a reflection of of exasperation. Those that she's calling out to now in the streets actually should be living wisely by now, probably because of their parents' teaching in the home, but there they are and they have yet to actually embrace the fear of the Lord and to order their lives according to His wisdom. And so she calls out and she asks in exasperation, how long are you going to love being simple? This is the striking part of the invitation in a sense because notice they love being simple. The people that Lady Wisdom is actually addressing are those who are um, think that they're actually free and they have not yet committed themselves to the Lord. And they are looking at the life in front of them, and they are remaining open to the sin and the folly of this world. And so they, they refrain from committing themselves to the Lord. They refrain from the fear of the Lord. Why? Because the very idea of, of the possibilities of sin and folly that await them in life is, is too appealing to them. Gullibility actually doesn't scare them, it excites them. And they look at the potential of sin and folly and what they think is fun, and they refuse to actually give heed to the Lord. Let me just make a few uh, uh, comments here, side comments. Notice she says, naive ones and then scoffers. Scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge. In wisdom literature, in the book of Proverbs in particular, you have three categories of people. You have, or I should say, three categories of of the wicked. You have the naive and the simple. They actually have yet to commit themselves to the fear of the Lord and to embrace His wisdom. The naive and the simple actually at the crossroads of either becoming wise or becoming a fool. So the next category then, if you don't choose wisdom, the next category is the fool. Now the fool is actually one step beyond the the naive or the simple because the fool actually has then chosen folly and has hardened himself and now because he has rejected wisdom and chosen folly, he is actually more difficult to reach than the naive or the simple. But then there is the scoffer. And the scoffer is actually then another step beyond the fool. And the scoffer, he's actually the worst in the book of Proverbs. Because the scoffer is the person who has actually hardened their heart against God and now not only has chosen folly and become a a, a brazen fool, but now is in a place where they mock God, mock His wisdom, and mock His ways. And so there is this progression that happens. And so the naive or the simple is at the crossroads and they've got wisdom and folly in front of them. If they choose the path of folly, they become the fool. And the fool then actually becomes very difficult to reach. Read the Proverbs. Pay attention to what it says about the fool. The fool is very rarely ever won back to a place of wisdom. 
You could strike a fool a hundred times with blows and he will not learn. But then once that fool becomes the scoffer, that scoffer is, is virtually never won back because of their hardened unbelief and the rejection of God. And so wisdom is actually warning the naive and the simple. They're at a critical point in their life. And um, the fact is, is that some of you are at a critical point in your life. You might be young. You might be a teenager. That's usually the, the age of being the naive or the simple. And again, it's not an insult. It's not, uh, it's not some sort of disrespect. It's just the way things are. And so there you are at the crossroads of of life and you have moral decisions in front of you. And here's what Lady Wisdom says. Notice verse 23. She says, Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. And so here is the actual invitation. She says, turn to my reproof, simple-minded, the, the, the naive. Listen, there is still time, there is still hope, and you need to actually consciously turn to my reproof. Now, now understand that to turn to wisdom's reproof actually means that you embrace not only lady wisdom, but you embrace some, some hard truth about yourself. Why, reproof is actually a word of correction. And so here's the reality is that whenever we turn to God, we actually have to not only embrace truth about God, but we're embracing truth about ourselves. And the truth that you would embrace about yourself if you accept Lady Wisdom's reproof is the fact that we're not wise on our own. We don't have uh, what it takes to actually live a kind of successful, God-honoring life on our own. In fact, the person who trusts in his own heart is, is a fool, the Proverbs say. And there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. And so to turn to wisdom's reproof is actually to humble yourself before wisdom and to acknowledge that she is the one that offers you life and that it's not in yourself and that you need to turn to God. And so she says, turn to my reproof. And then she promises, I'll pour out my spirit on you and make my words known to you. So if the naive do turn if they humble themselves and they receive what wisdom has to offer, she in turn promises to change their lives, to actually pour out her spirit, the spirit of wisdom upon them, and to make her words known to them. That is, they will actually have the joy of having wisdom as their own treasure and knowing God as their own God. Here's the thing about the invitation that we need to remember. It's being addressed to those who maybe like many of you were raised in Christian homes, taught in Christian churches, had faithful Sunday school teachers, had moms and dads who read the Bible to you. You heard God's word. 
You've heard it over and over again. You've heard the gospel many times. You've actually heard wisdom from God's word. And you have had that presented to you in an amazing, wonderful way. And yet it is the very allurement of sin that has prevented you from fully embracing the word of God and Jesus Christ for your life. Remember years ago, we have a wonderful family in our church. Our church is about uh, nearly 20 years old, and this family has been with us almost from the beginning. The second oldest son out of seven children was, um, he, was uh, he was sort of the rebellious type. He was not um, the, you know, the firstborn, of course, was very pious and knew a lot of scripture and, and um, as firstborns often tend to be, um, you know, somewhat the uh, know everything about the Bible, know everything about the Christian life, know everything about everything. And, um, but the second born, the second oldest, was a young man who did not embrace his parents' faith, did not embrace the word of God, and, um, and wasn't brazen about it, but was, but was willing to say, I'm not a Christian, and I really have no desire to be a Christian. And so I sat down with him one day, and I asked him, I said, I said, Charlie, I said, why, why aren't you following the Lord Jesus? And he said, well, I haven't been called and I said, Charlie, I said, you know that that's, that's not the answer. So he had a nice theological answer as to why he was not following Jesus. I said, what is the real answer? And he said, there's just so much life that I want to experience that I'm afraid that if I turn my life over to Christ, that I will miss out on so much. That is how a lot of young people feel, and that is that. And let me just tell you that that ends up being a huge lie. Uh, if if you took a poll, and I know this is a, a a very good Christian upstanding community, and and probably some of the most pious people upon the earth. At least that's what Pastor Sean has said. And um, but young people, listen. If 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 we had a a real serious moment of truth and you took all the people in this congregation who were over 40 years old and you had those who actually had committed their life to Jesus at a young age and then you took those that actually waited and, and, and delved into the sins of the world and you asked those people that committed their life to Jesus at a young age, do you regret it? Do you know what they would say? They would say, absolutely not. Because as I've gotten older, I realize that Jesus not only saved me from the sins that I did commit, but he also saved me from sins that I never had the opportunity to commit, and I'm actually very, very thankful. For the others who actually had been in the world, and Jesus saved them out of that, if you could ask them, uh, was it worth it? They would tell you today, actually what I wish is, is that I would have been saved before I went into the world. 
because there were things that I did and there were things that, 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 that I lived that actually have made a negative impact on my life. I'm thankful that Jesus has forgiven me. I'm thankful that I actually have salvation. But if I could do it all over again, I would have come to know Christ much sooner in life. And so here the naive, they're waiting. Wisdom says, turn to my reproof. You won't regret it. I'll pour out my spirit on you. You'll be a wise person. You'll live a life that honors the Lord. You'll live a life that is truly successful in the godly sense of the term. And then this is why, this is why the naive need to listen. Verse 24, wisdom's offer will in fact expire. So you need to understand that the offer of wisdom is an offer that actually has an expiration date. Wisdom turns around and says, because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. And so the reason that you take up wisdom's offer and you take it up now is because wisdom's offer will expire. She says very clearly, I called I actually stretched out my hand to you. The imagery there is is of a sincere, earnest offer, an offer that is filled with pleading and genuine, authentic uh, offer. And the response of the naive is simply a refusal to the call and paying no attention to the outstretched hand. And she says, you neglected all of my counsel. The counsel that you heard that was from me through your parents, you neglected that. You neglected me calling you in the streets. You did not want my reproof. And so here's wisdom who offers her wise counsel to live a God-honoring life. Wisdom offers her reproof when we need correction. And the response is just simply to ignore the counsel and not accept that correction. And I tell you that from this passage, that is a dangerous place to be. The question that commentators wrestle with in this passage is, have the naive actually already refused this offer or is she actually warning them of what will happen if they refuse? We actually cannot be certain from just from the grammar, but what it seems to me is that here's the naive, they've heard and they've heard and they've heard, and yet they have not been convinced at this point to stop loving their folly and to embrace wisdom, and she is giving them a warning, and the fact is, is that whether it has already happened or is about to happen, they are being warned. And so wisdom says clearly that this, this, this offer is not going to be good all of your life. There's going to come a point where it will no longer be offered. And then notice, Lady Wisdom turns around and she says in verse 26, I will also laugh at your calamity. 
I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Notice that she actually says, I, I'm going to make this offer, but if you continue to refuse, there's coming a day when after you've refused, after my hand has been stretched out to you, I'm going to laugh at you one day. Calamity and dread do come. When a person does not choose the way of wisdom and the way of God they, and choose folly, it may look like their life goes really well for a while, but mark my words, calamity and dread will come. To refuse wisdom is actually to invite disaster. And verse 27 compares it to a storm or to a whirlwind or to a hurricane. The idea is this destructive catastrophe that leads to ruined lives. It's distress and it's anguish and there's, there is the pain once the ruin has happened. Recently read, of, read somebody who graduated from high school in the 60s, went back for a, a, a high school reunion, and he said it was, it was so painfully obvious those who had chosen the path of sin and folly and those who had chosen the path of wisdom, those who had chosen the path of sin and folly bore those, that, that, those choices visibly trying to be happy, but living at a superficial level, knowing that right underneath the surface, they were miserable people. They had made choices that actually had brought a disaster after disaster upon their life. And after those disasters and those storms came, they kind of tried to live at the surface and not deal with life in any real sense. And yet those that chose the path of wisdom at that age actually were bearing the fruit of a godly life. Ray Ortland once again says, you know the perfect storm... It's not when you fail, but when you succeed and you finally get your perfect life with you at the center. It's the poison of your kingdom coming and your will being done. In our church life, I mentioned that our church is just about 20 years old. And... uh, One of the men in our church who was well-respected, held office in our church, was a close personal friend uh, to me for, for 22 years. Thought he had some rough edges, but I thought he really... He knows the Lord. He knows the Word. I've, I've discipled him. He is, he is um, not only my friend, but he's an outstanding asset to our church. In late September, my cell phone rang at 5.30 in the morning, and it was him, and he said, I'm standing at your front door. Come let me in. And as I let him in, he was visibly falling apart. 
And what we discovered was that this man had been making moral choices for years now, unbeknownst to us. And those moral choices included embezzling from our church. Those moral choices included multiple infidelities. Those moral choices included trying to drown out his conscience with alcohol. We might think that the moral choices that we make are not that big a deal, but I will tell you, small choices lead to bigger choices, which lead to bigger choices, and one of these days we find ourselves right in the middle of a storm. This man has devastated his marriage. He has lost all respect in the church. He is uh, under church discipline. He has to make restitution of more money than he will ever be able to pay back in an entire lifetime. And he has brought disgrace upon not only himself, but upon his children. And his children will always have the stigma, as much as they're loved, as much as they're accepted, they will always have the stigma of, my dad was the guy that stole money from the church. The Bible is abundantly clear. We cannot actually live a life of secret sin, live a life of compromise with folly, and to choose those paths repeatedly and not end up bearing the consequences. And here's the, here's the thing is that wisdom turns around and in the moment of calamity when everything falls apart, after wisdom had called out repeatedly over and over and over again and after she'd been refused over and over and over again, Come the day when that calamity comes home, then wisdom stands there and laughs. Bruce Waltke, an Old Testament professor, says, Wisdom does not laugh at disaster, but wisdom does laugh at the triumph over what is right, over what is wrong, when your disaster happens. Verse 28, Then they will call on me, But I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and didn't choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. And so in verse, starting in verse 28, we see wisdom's judgment on those who would choose folly. At this point in, in the, uh, in, in wisdom's call, she is now saying there's coming a time where I'm going to refuse to help. Notice what happens. They call. They seek her diligently. But understand, here she was offering herself time after time, year after year. And, and then when the calamity hits, then when the bottom falls out, then when their life begins to fall apart, that's when they start to say, I'm going to call on wisdom. And that's when they say, I'm going to begin to diligently seek wisdom. And it's in that time of judgment, that time of catastrophe, those who have loved being simple and lived for their sin will think, well, now I can get God's help. But wisdom is not at our disposal. Just like grace and mercy, they are not at human disposal to use 
as we please, when we please, but rather wisdom, like grace and mercy, must be received when it is offered. If it is refused, then it is possible to forfeit it. And the day of wisdom and the day of salvation end up being passed. This is one of the lies of actually choosing a life of folly and sin and thinking, I can repent later. Many young people have decided to go down the path of a life of immorality and pleasure and self-indulgence, thinking all the while, I think that the Bible's true, I believe the Christian faith is true, and you know what? I know that God is forgiving and He's merciful, and so I'm going to do my thing, and then when I've had my fill of my thing, then I'm going to call on God, and in that day, then I'll finally get forgiveness and I'll be able to turn my life around. The fact is, is that you don't know that that's going to happen. Not only do you not know that you're going to have that opportunity, but understand this, the more we immerse ourselves in sin and the more we consciously choose folly, the more we harden our heart. So think about this young person. As you continue to choose folly, what makes you think that there's going to come a point where after choosing folly forever, however long, that you're actually going to want to choose wisdom at some point in your life? You could be so dulling your conscience and you could be uh, just so numbing your own soul that you end up getting to that place where you don't even want to call. But here, wisdom says, they call, they seek me diligently, but you know what? I'm not at your disposal. You have to receive me when I am offered to you. You don't have the prerogative to use me when you want and how you want. It reminds me of the door of the ark. Once the door of the ark was closed, it was closed. And when they start to seek wisdom, wisdom says nothing in response, even to their desperate pleading. Then, verses 29 and 30, she gives the reasons why she refuses. This is why she won't answer when they call. This is why they will not find her when they seek for her. Verse 29, because they hated knowledge, didn't choose the fear of the Lord. So she says, I'm not going to answer because for years you you hated knowledge. That is, who is the person who hates knowledge? It is the fool. The naive person who chooses their sin and folly and then becomes a fool is the one who ends up hating the truth. The truth and knowledge here, of course, is the truth and knowledge of God. And so here the person is, when they're choosing folly, they're actually rejecting God, and they're rejecting the knowledge of God. And Lady Wisdom says, Why in the world should I be obligated to rescue you in the day of your calamity when you've had a whole life of actually hating knowledge? They didn't choose the fear of the Lord. Who is it that doesn't choose the fear of the Lord? It's the proud and the wicked who actually love their sin more than they love God. And Lady Wisdom says, listen, I offered wisdom to you. I offered you to come and to fear the Lord and to know the Lord and to live in His ways. And you actually just refused. You loved your sin. So why should I answer you now when you didn't choose the fear of the Lord when you had the opportunity to? And then she says, They despised and spurned all my reproof. 
I tried to correct you, but you stiffened your neck. I tried to reprove you, but you hardened your heart. You you despised what I was saying to you. This is something that actually should be striking to us. Here's Lady Wisdom, and she says, I've made these offers, and I've tried to correct you, and when I try to correct you, you get angry with me. By the way, to get angry when somebody corrects you is the sign that you're a fool. The sign of wisdom in Proverbs is that you accept correction and you accept, accept reproof because you know that you're not the fount of wisdom and you need help. And so the wise person actually receives it. The fool is the person that gets angry and rejects it. And Lady Wisdom says, look, you despised it, you spurned it, and, and you never heard when I offered, and your choices have been made, and your deeds have been done, and therefore you're going to be accountable for your decisions. In a sense, what Lady Wisdom is saying is this, I will not rob you of the dignity of your life choices. 31 and 32, the consequences of their deeds. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way, be satiated with their own devices. The waywardness of the naive will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. She says, here's the consequences of your deeds. They'll eat the fruit of their own way. You've heard the expression, right? You are what you eat. Well, in a sense, the Bible teaches us two complementary truths. On the one hand, we do what we are, but on the other hand, we are what we do. And so here, they're eating the fruit of their own way. They are becoming more and more what they are doing, and then they're satiated or they're glutted with their own devices. In other words, they become consumed with their own sin. This is exactly what happens when you choose the path of folly and that's what you're going to embrace. The deeper you get into it, the more consuming it becomes. This man in our church that I mentioned to you uh, just a few minutes ago, his life became so consumed with having to deceive and to cover his sin and the deeper he got into sin, the more he sinned and the more he had to actually try to cover what he was doing so that his deceit became virtually a full-time job. He became consumed with his own devices. They're killed by their own waywardness. The ESV says, for the simple are killed by their turning away. And then she says, the complacency of fools destroys them. The complacency of fools destroys them. The the problem with the fool is that the fool, unlike the naive, the naive can have that sense of urgency that I'm at a crossroads and what I do now, what I do next has absolute critical uh, uh, influence in my life. But for the fool, the fool ends up having a false sense of security. They actually have a false sense of security and because of that false sense of security, they just stop listening and they stop taking the precautions and it ends up killing them. From my house to our church is, is Highway 395, and it's just a, it's a, it's a, just a short seven-mile stretch of road. And uh, we have Nevada Highway Patrol or Nevada State Troopers everywhere. They, they patrol Highway 395. And just a little while ago, a couple of months ago, I wasn't paying attention, and I passed one of them on the highway. Okay. 
You know what I thought? I looked in my rear view mirror. What, did I, what was I expecting to see? Lights. That's what I was expecting to see. And as I drove by and no lights went on, I kind of thought, ooh, maybe, well, they had to have seen me because I just blew by them, right? Then I started to think, well, you know what? The, he's probably late for dinner too. He probably understands me. And then I just kept going and became completely secure that I was not going to get a ticket. You know, sometimes that's exactly what fools do. Because what happens is, is they, make, they make some moral choices that are really bad moral choices and they're looking in the rear view mirror waiting for the lights to go on. No lights go on and they say, hey, you know what? The consequences are not nearly as bad as everybody said they were. The Proverbs say that very complacency, that very sense of self or false security is going to lead to their death. Final offer is in verse 33. Verse 33 really is the, 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 the word of grace. This, this, this warning from Lady Wisdom ends on the note of grace. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. The one who listens to me, to listen in the Old Testament, to listen is to obey and to follow So the one who actually receives wisdom, receives counsel, listens to her. What does that mean? What does that look like practically? It looks like this. You humble yourself before the Lord. You renounce your own wisdom and your own ways. And you embrace God and His ways. And where is is the, the pinnacle of God and His ways? Where is the pinnacle of God's wisdom? It's in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to humble yourself, embrace Christ, and to live under his word, that is what it is to actually do what she says here. Listen to me, and then you'll live securely. You'll have a stability in your life. You'll have a strength in your life. And then notice the last phrase, will be at ease from the dread of evil. One of the Proverbs says that the wicked flee when no one pursues. A life of sin and folly is at, ends up becoming a life of worry about when you're going to get caught. It's a life of wondering when the consequences are going to catch up to you. But to live in the fear of the Lord is to have a good conscience and to be free from the dread of evil that comes upon the wicked. So young people, many of you are actually choosing your own ways and you're refusing the way of the Lord and you're following after the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Some of you are just consistently breaking God's law when it comes to your own body, when it comes to what you put before your own eyes. You're refusing the counsel of wisdom and instead you surround yourself by fools who tell you exactly what you want to hear. You listen to your friends instead of listening to your parents and listening to God. You have to understand this. You are in the process of becoming the adult that you one day will be. Will you be wise and godly or will you be a fool? If you choose to be a fool, your life one day will suffer the storm. 
And so today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to choose wisdom. Today is the day to choose God's Son to be your Savior and your Lord. Today is the day to choose the fear of the Lord and to walk in His ways. If you refuse, you never know when the last offer has been made. You never know when that line has been crossed. You might think you have time, but it's a lie. You might be thinking right now, When the fruit of my decisions start to come down around me, then I'll cry out to God. In that day, there may be no answer. And so today is the day. Do not delay. Turn to Christ. Embrace Christ as wisdom from God and holiness and sanctification and redemption. Embrace God's Son. Live for Him. Even at a young age, and I promise you that when you're old, like me or like Pastor Sean or some of you who are a lot older, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. God saved me when I was 13 years old. I'd done enough sin by the age 13. I knew that sin was bad and the consequences and the weight were awful, and God saved me. And I look back and I thank God that through my teenage years I was serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I never regret being saved at a young age. And so turn, accept wisdom's call. You never know when the last offer is made. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would open hearts today. We pray that you would be mighty to save. We pray that you would put the Lord Jesus Christ on glorious display in such a way that those who don't know him would have hearts that long for him. Father, we pray that this passage would impress on us that going to church is not enough and simply being a part of a Christian family is not enough. We must personally receive the wisdom that you offer to us and the salvation which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.